Hi everyone, this is Dan and welcome to the Rapid Boards Review Podcast. In this podcast, it is our goal to review high-yield boards concepts with you in a format that is easy to listen to on the go. We are not a textbook and we are not a question bank, but we are an audio boards review resource that will go over high-yield associations with you in a question and answer format. This is episode 34 of the podcast. In this episode, we will begin our review on high-yield oncogenic microbes that you need to know for the step one examination. To put this in perspective, microbes can include anything from bacteria to viruses or really any sort of parasite. And this is particularly high yield for STEP because there are certain associations between particular microbes and particular types of cancer that you need to know. So in this series, we will go over that association and any other peripherally related concepts that might be tested on the STEP 1 examination. So this is part one and be on the lookout for the other parts. And I really appreciate you listening to this episode and all the previous episodes, and I really hope that you find this content useful. Alright, so what cancer is caused by schistosoma hematobium? Schistosoma hematobium. So the answer is squamous cell carcinoma of the bladder. Now, uh, for schistosoma hematobium, what region is this parasite predominant in? Like, what region of the world? So the classic region for this would be the Middle East, and in particular, Egypt is sometimes tested. Now, how does bladder cancer typically present in a question stem? So usually the presenting symptom is painless hematuria, And in particular, if you have painless hematuria and you're greater than 50 years old, this is a warning sign. Now, uh, when you think about bladder cancer, there's really two types of bladder cancer defined by histology. What are these two types of bladder cancer? So they are urothelial carcinoma, which is also called transitional cell carcinoma. And the second one is squamous cell carcinoma. So there's two types, urothelial carcinoma and squamous cell carcinoma. And note that urothelial carcinoma can occur anywhere where they have transitional cells in the epithelium. Now, what parts of the body classically have transitional cells? So this would be the bladder, the ureters, the renal pelvis, and the renal calyces. And notice how I said that kind of starting distally and going proximally. So we have the bladder, the ureters, the renal pelvis, and the renal calyces. And basically, these are like the areas that you could think of that might need to stretch because they could be uh, filled with fluid. Now, it's also really high yield to know the risk factors for bladder cancer because the risk factors are the things in the question stand that you'll be able to pick out and be able to get you to the answer of bladder cancer. So what are the risk factors for urothelial carcinoma of the bladder? Remember, this is also called transitional cell carcinoma of the bladder. What are the risk factors? So there's a bunch, but the high-yield ones are phenacetin, smoking, aniline dyes, and cyclophosphamide. And there's a really great mnemonic that I learned from first aid. It's PSAC, so it'd be capital P-E-E, capital S-A-C. So all the capital letters let you know what the risk factors are. So let's go through that. So P, that's P-E-E, the P is capitalized. That stands for phenacetin. And then the S-A-C are all capitalized. The S stands for smoking. The A stands for aniline dyes, and the C stands for cyclophosphamide. Now, there's a high-yield process that occurs with these types of carcinogens, and I've seen it tested mostly in relation to smoking. 
Um, and I'll just go through what this process is because it's kind of hard to make a question out of it. But essentially, you have large areas of cells at a tissue surface are affected by a single carcinogen. So essentially, you can imagine if you smoke, uh, that smoke, uh, all the carcinogens in the smoke dissipate across all the aspects of the mucosa. So you can get dysplasia or cancers popping up in multiple parts independent of each other on the same mucosal surface. Um, but sometimes it can get tested, like what is the name of this process? What is the name of this process that I just described in relation to cancer? Good, so this process is actually called the field effect or the field cancerization effect. And just remember, it's mostly tested in relation to smoking, but the idea is when you smoke, all the carcinogens from the smoke kind of lay across the whole mucosal surface so you can get dysplasias and cancers popping up in different parts of that mucosal surface really independent of each other. Um, now, the risk factors for squamous cell carcinoma of the bladder, what are those risk factors? And there's really like an underlying principle that lets you really understand all the risk factors, but let's see what you could name and then we can go over them. So the one we went over is schistosoma hematobium, most common in the Middle East, particularly Egypt. But we also have chronic cystitis, chronic nephrolithiasis, and smoking. And uh, so I'll go over them again. Uh, schistosoma hematobium, chronic cystitis, chronic nephrolithiasis, and smoking. And do you know what the underlying principle is across all these different risk factors to help you remember them cohesively on test day? So the underlying principle here is chronic irritation. You get chronic irritation of the bladder. That chronic irritation leads to a squamous metaplasia, which turns to a dysplasia, which turns to a neoplasia. And the neoplasia would be a squamous cell carcinoma. Now, when you're thinking of schistosoma, there's three schistosoma organisms that can be tested. What are those three organisms in the schistosoma species? Good, so there's schistosoma hematobium, the one we went over, schistosoma mansoni, and schistosoma japonicum. Now, what is the physical attribute that can differentiate the three? So, like, for example, what is the attribute and how are they differentiated between the three types of schistosoma? So you have to look at the spine. So schistosoma hematobium has a large terminal spine, mansoni has a large lateral spine, and japonicum has a small spine. And there's a very high yield sketchy uh, micro sketch that gives you a kind of a clever way to remember these types of spines. But just to go over them one more time, schistosoma hematobium has a large terminal spine, mansoni has a large lateral spine, and japonicum has a small spine. Now, what pathology is associated with schistosoma mansoni and japonicum? Good, so that would be portal hypertension, and the sustained portal hypertension can eventually lead to cirrhosis, and on physical exam, this would most likely present as a patient with jaundice. And kind of last question in this uh, compilation, what is the treatment for schistosoma infections? Good, that would be praziquantel, praziquantel. And if you go to the sketchy microsketch, which I would very highly recommend for this, it's kind of represented as a pretzel, praziquantel. Okay, next grouping. What bug causes nasopharyngeal carcinoma? Nasopharyngeal carcinoma.
Good, that would be EBV, or Epstein-Barr virus. Now, what demographic is this nasopharyngeal carcinoma caused by EBV most common in? What demographic? Good, that would be Asian adults. Now, how is EBV transmitted? So EBV is transmitted through respiratory secretions, most commonly saliva. Now, okay, so you have these respiratory secretions. EBV has been transmitted to you. What cells does EBV infect? So EBV infects B cells. Now, what route allows it to infect B cells? So EBV specifically binds to CD21. And there's a really good mnemonic here, and it's that you must be 21 to drink beer in a bar. Now, in that mnemonic, beer kind of stands for the B cell, and bar is spelled with two R's to represent Epstein-Barr virus. So you must be 21 to drink beer, representing B cells, in a bar, representing EBV. Now, what blood smear finding is associated with EBV? Good, that would be atypical lymphocytes and very high yield. These atypical lymphocytes are not infected B cells. They're actually reactive cytotoxic T cells. So even though EBV infects B cells, the atypical lymphocytes that are classic for it on the blood smear are actually reactive cytotoxic T cells. Now, what respiratory disease in young adults is mostly associated with EBV? Good, that would be infective mononucleosis, sometimes just called mono. Now, what other bug can less commonly cause mono, but still does show up on exam? So, so the most common cause is usually EBV, but what other bug can cause mono less commonly? So that would be CMV, or cytomegalovirus. Now, if someone has infective mononucleosis, what physical restraints should the patient be told in the exam room and why? So these patients should be told to avoid contact sports for the duration that they have symptoms and it's to avoid splenic rupture. And that's because, you know, the spleen is kind of inside this capsule um, and the spleen is a very, very, very highly vascularized organ. Remember, all the blood goes through it, and you can filter out all the bad blood cells there, and you can actually get splenomegaly when you're infected with mono. And so when you do a contact sport, it could rupture the spleen, and that could lead to a splenic laceration or, or some sort of in, uh, hemorrhage in the area. Now, what are three other cancers that EBV is associated with? Three other cancers. Good, so that would be Burkett lymphoma, Hodgkin lymphoma, and primary CNS lymphoma. And in the primary CNS lymphoma, you'd most likely see this in an immunocompromised patient. Um, and, you know, this is not really going to be an episode on the types of lymphoma, but I do want to touch on some high yields that do get tested. Uh, what, are the chromosome, what is the chromosomal translocation that you see in Burkett lymphoma? So that would be a translocation between chromosome 8 and chromosome 14. And what is the high-yield thing that's on chromosome 8? So that would be the C-MYC gene. 
the C-MYC gene, gene. And what is the high-yield thing that's on chromosome 14? So that would be the immunoglobulin heavy chain. And the key here is that the immunoglobulin heavy chain is always expressed. So then when you go through this translocation, um, it kind of gets swapped with the C-MYC gene, which shouldn't normally be expressed. And you know, when, it, when it does normally get expressed, this is highly oncogenic, and it could lead to Burkett lymphoma. Now, what CD markers are indicative of Hodgkin lymphoma? So for Hodgkin lymphoma, you're looking at a CD positive or CD15 positive and a CD30 positive. Now, what is the name of the distinctive cells that you would find on histology for Hodgkin lymphoma? So you classically would see these things called Reed-Sternberg cells. And how do these usually look like on histology? Like if you were to get a picture of a histo slide, what could you point to and say, yes, these are Reed-Sternberg cells? So they classically look like owl eyes. And, you know, this is actually like binucleate or bilobe nuclei. And I would really recommend you looking up a picture of these because these really do show up as attachments on the question stem. Now, when you're thinking about like what the CD markers are for Hodgkin lymphoma, remember CD15, CD30. What you could do is you could do 30 divided by 15. That gives you two. And that could keep in mind for you uh, the owl eyes or the bilobed or binucleate nuclei that show up on the picture. Okay, so to review, remember the EB EBV, it causes uh, infective mononucleosis and all these cancers. But remember that it infects B cells. So all the cancers are lymphomas. Remember, a lymphoma is a proliferation of lymph cells. And a type of lymph cell is a B cell. So the other types of cancers it causes, Hodgkin lymphoma, uh, Burkett lymphoma, and primary CNS lymphoma. And this is the way that you could remember uh, the types of cancers that it causes. All right, so uh, we're going to have more parts on these oncogenic microbes. I just didn't want to make this episode uh, longer than it is right now. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really hope you found the content useful. And be on the lookout for parts two and possibly part three on these oncogenic microbes.